0: All right, and we're back with the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing well. Excited about our guest. Yep. So we are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions, so we'll get right into it. So today yep. we have special guest, Garrett Gomez, here with us today. And he has an amazing story that he will get to later. So Garrett played in the USHL for the Tri-City Storm from 2012 to 2015. And during that time, he won the USHL Gentleman of the Year Award. From there, he went on to playing for Providence College from 2015 until 2017, and then became a student assistant coach from the team from 2017 till 2020. So please welcome our guest today. Garrett, how are you doing, man?
1: Doing great, guys. How are you? Good, great. man. Appreciate you Good. coming on the show today.
0: Yeah, and and,
2: and and he is our, our first um, sort of guest referral from previous guests. So I want to send out a quick thank mm. you to... Uh, <laughs> Gary Steffes, and we'll get into uh, how you know Gary or how you you met Gary a little bit later on, but uh, this is great because Gary uh, texted me and said, hey, great story, you're going to love this guy as a guest, uh, have him on, and here we
0: go, so take it away, Andrew, first question. Yeah, so Garrett, the first thing I wanted to ask was, so the USHL now, you're, you're starting to hear that league a lot, a lot of players mm-hmm. starting to come from there that make it to the yeah. NHL. Um, so it seems like the league is finally getting some recognition that it, it does deserve. So what was your experience like playing in the league for three years?
1: Yeah, I know it was a, it was an awesome experience. I think you kind of hit it right on the head there. You know, my first year getting into the USHL, um, I think the USHL was still kind of not considered a league that was people didn't like recruit from. Obviously, there was always, you know, high from colleges and, and kids getting drafted, but not the amount of kids that are getting drafted out of the USHL nowadays. Um, I think it was like my first year in the league, I would probably say the average age group was somewhere probably between 18 and 19 years old, where my last year in the league, it was probably from 17, 18 um, years old. So I know like the league has certainly gotten younger, it's gotten faster, um, more skilled without a doubt. Um, but I had a great three years, I, I played all three years at the Tri-City Storm. Um, my first two years, we kind of struggled, we didn't make the playoffs, um, but I did have a great experience those two years I met a lot of awesome guys. Then, unfortunately, my last year, um, our team did really well. Had a lot of great players on that team. We ended up losing in the second round of the playoffs to uh, Sioux Falls Stampede, who ended up winning it at all. Um, but overall, my experience in the USHL was awesome. I got to meet so many different um, players from so many different areas, and obviously coming from California, kind of a non-traditional um, hockey area in general. And then going out there and kind of meeting a lot of the guys that you played, you know, U16 against that are that were at the same same skill set as you now being on the same team was pretty cool.
2: So I want to follow up with that. Yeah. So you come from California now, a lot of players are coming from California now, um, in a lot of places, just like, uh, you know, we lived in Florida for 16 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hockey's everywhere, but how did you get into hockey out there in California?
1: Yeah, it's, it's quite a funny story. So my, my dad actually was a surfer growing up. My my dad grew up in uh, garden grove, mm-hmm. And my mom was a soccer player. So they really didn't have any ties to hockey. Um, and around the time when Wayne Gretzky was in out here in, in uh, California playing for the Kings and stuff, my dad started watching hockey and just becoming familiar with it and really just kind of like drew to the sport. Um, and then as time went on, my dad was actually a, an air conditioning mechanic and works on, on big high rises and stuff like that. And he started putting on some weight. And one of his coworkers was like, hey, I played at this uh, recreational you know, uh, hockey rink right by your house in this uh, small men's league. Why don't you come and play? So uh, my dad, just to lose weight, probably like forty years old at the time, or maybe like (laughs) thirty-five, whatever he was. um, He decided to play roller hockey, and then I would just go with my my mom and 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 my sister at the time and start watching him. Um, And as time had gone on, his his love for the game kind of like grew, watching the Kings and stuff, and also playing it. And so when I was little, he just got me my first pair of skates. I want to say I was really young. I mean, I was probably less than one years old when he like you know, got me my first little fake little plastic hockey stick and stuff like that. And then I just grew up um, really just playing it because of that.
2: So did you play in high school? Did you jump into juniors?
1: Yeah. So I, um, when I starting off, I played a lot of roller hockey um, from probably the age, like I would say four to, I would say six or seven Um, I played a lot of roller hockey, went to Narch in Cincinnati, Ohio on time. And, um, I would say at the same time around, probably when I was like, I think it was like around five or six, my parents like actually put me on the ice and I was actually playing in like a small might league for the junior ducks in Anaheim. Um, and then as time had gone on, I just kind of developed more skills, um, you know, from the the teams that I was playing on. Um, and then there's a small group of kids that are my age group, um, that you could tell were actually going to you know, go places in the game of hockey. Um, so, you know, kind of unlike other places like, you know, Minnesota or Boston, or these places where a lot of kids are growing and there's a lot of really good teams playing um, at, you know, and, and one specific age group, um, usually in California, or at least when I was growing up, was really like one main team um, that was, that was good. And and the rest of the teams were um, I shouldn't say bad, but just not at the skill level where they were really going to, you know, grow and, and get out of California playing ice hockey. So Um, I had uh, an an interesting career, I should say, or growing up here in California. So my parents really couldn't afford for me to play AAA hockey at all. Um, So I actually played AA hockey my entire life um, until my 16 AAA year. And then I played two years of 16 AAA, one with a a team called the OC Hockey Club, which it's not even in existence these days. The Anaheim Ducks actually um bought out the uh, the arena that I had played at there um yeah that's the other that's another like really interesting story just talking about the phases of all of these junior uh, or uh, youth teams in California you used to have like LA Hockey Club and LA Selects so, like a real lot of you know birth years from probably like 90 to 96 or 97 a lot of like really good players came out of LA Hockey Club and then LA Hockey Club is no longer in existence either um so, But I played double-A hockey, and then my last two years, I played one with OC Hockey Club, which was close to my house, and then my last year I played uh, 16 AAA for the Junior Kings, um, and that was really the year that kind of um, was the spotlight year for myself. I wasn't really um, being recruited, quite frankly, by anybody. I mean, I, I went on um, – when I was – my first year of 16 AAA hockey, um, I went on one tour, like one trip to the BCHL just to, like, see what it was like. Obviously, I couldn't play any any games or anything because I wasn't old enough. Um, but I just kind of went there to get the experience of what junior hockey was like. And then after that, my 16 AAA year with the, the junior Kings playing in that tier one elite league really is really helpful um, because you're playing against all of the other top, you know, teams that are in that league from different States. And that's really where the scouts start to come, whether it be juniors or, or college. And fortunately I had a really good year, my, my last year playing 16 AAA and that kind of, um, helped me grow into the, the player that I was and, and, and go to the college that I went to and everything else.
2: Yeah. And, and uh, it's interesting, though, you do talk about, you know, kind of the hockey history, the culture um, in, in the 90s, because it is so different, but yet is important. Um, you know, tell your dad we had on um, um, old L.A. Uh, player Jim Thompson last week. Oh, that's and, awesome. uh, so he, you know, he played with Gretzky and, you know, he was more of an enforcer type guy. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. he would talk about the early 90s of of how, you know, they went to the Stanley Cup finals, the Kings, and mm. how crazy it was, and the actors want to come in the dressing room and be the players, and, <laughs> right. and it, it was a crazy time, but it definitely did, uh, you know, change the tide, Gretzky did, I'm yeah. talking oh, right yeah. Yeah. you know, change <laughs> the whole, like, hey, hockey's now a thing, right. so, uh, Right. But anyway, Andrew, I'm sorry. That was a long follow-up question. Hey, that's, I'm sorry. Fine. Sorry. <laughs>
0: that's fine. Um, so, Garrett, what was it like going then uh, from the USHL to Providence? I, I like to ask that question because I know that, you know, those type of junior leagues are very different compared to collegiate hockey. So what, what was the transition like?
1: between? The yeah, two? I would say, you know, my I think one of the biggest differences is just like the, the small parts of the game um, that become, you know, when you like play – minor hockey, for instance, like if, if you have good skill, you're going to make it, you know, if you're, if you're highly skilled, like, and a lot of the attention to detail stuff, like in the defensive zone and stuff like that, it doesn't matter as much just because you have so much skill and the other team usually doesn't have as much where you can kind of get away with those things. You get to junior hockey and obviously those small things get, more important, and then you get to college, and they're even more important. I think the the hardest transition, actually, for myself was from minor hockey to juniors, and just speed-wise and size-wise, it was like, oh my goodness, I'm playing with guys that are absolutely huge. You know, I'll never forget. There was a guy, I think it was played. He was on Lincoln. Yeah. His name was not like Mike McKee. And he was like six, to 240 <laughs> pounds, you know, and you're like, this guy can literally rip my head off. You know, I'm getting into the league. I'm 17 years old. I'm at the time, probably five, 10, maybe 170 pounds, 175 pounds, you know? And so, so, um,
2: so Mike, Mike was, uh, Mike was on our show
0: two weeks ago.
1: Yeah. Oh, was he really? Yeah, oh yeah, my gosh. Gosh. He, he's yeah. the one that plays for the Tulsa
0: Oilers right now. Yeah, he's, oh, he's that is yeah, too funny.
2: He, he plays here in Tulsa and he's gotten great. But yeah, yeah that was our question to him was, you know, you, you're always the biggest guy. I mean, he's yeah. six, six, five, five, two, three, five right now.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, it's crazy. So he,
0: so so was that the difficult part then you said probably just the size of those guys you were like playing against men and you were still Yeah, 16, you're 17. yeah, you're still a little
1: kid. The transition from from minor hockey to juniors is definitely I thought was the toughest. And then once you go from juniors to college, I thought the the speed was relatively similar. I mean, there were some teams that you would play and you'd be like, okay, this team is a bit more skilled or a bit more fast, but the small details are what really make the difference. And I think Um, as you get higher and higher, you know, guys I talked to that are former teammates that are now, uh, you know, playing in the AHL or playing in the NHL. And you talk to them about just talking about how important stick battles are and how hard guys are on their sticks just to win one single battle in a corner. Um, Those small things really make the true difference. And I thought like playing for coach Lehman, he's a very, very, very detailed coach. Um, You know, we, our practices were really long, usually especially Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, quicker practice on thursday just because we're playing on a friday but he was a very very detailed coach and you know I, I think that's one of the main reasons why we were as successful as we were is because every single area of the game whether it be the O zone or the d zone or even the neutral zone you know everything was meticulously thought out um and we had a game plan to it so yeah i think that was like just attention to detail um is definitely probably the the most um difficult thing or the bit most challenging thing that you'll, you'll face as you continue to grow. And it's honestly the biggest differentiator that you can make yourself when you're kind of growing in those leagues.
2: So when you um, make the team for the Friars in Providence, um, um, how were you recruited? And uh, we like to ask this to all the players that we've had on that have college experience. Um, what made you go there because if you're if you're going there you've had offers to go a lot of places so what was that experience like and why did you pick the friars
1: yeah I have a a really interesting um, kind of journey throughout my whole college process so I actually was originally recruited to the University of Denver Um, when I so when I played after the end of my 16 AAA year I had toured um, quite a few schools. I went to New Hampshire, Northeastern, Colorado College, Denver. Um, I think really, to be honest, any uh, m- most California kids' dreams were at, at, during the time that I was playing at least. Everybody wants to go to Denver because it's the closest college school, you know, um, back to California so your family can kind of come visit you a lot. It's a quick, you know, two-hour trip from LAX to Denver, and they're right there for a game. Um, and so Denver was my dream school, um, in the beginning and I had committed to them. Um, and then the, the plan was that I would play two years in juniors, um, and then go in and go into Denver. Um, unfortunately I ended up getting decommitted because my grades weren't good, good enough to get into the school. Um, when I was in, when I was in, uh, high school, I just, I didn't really, it wasn't that I didn't care about my grades. It was kind of tough. I had a situation where, um, because ice hockey isn't an approved high school sport because it's not like you're playing club you're missing school all the time, especially when you're playing in the tier one elite league. And so I think I missed about 32 days of school. It was. Um, and basically what ended up happening was my mom would usually call me in sick and <laughs> um, you know, there was no other way to get around it, you know? And so my mom would call me in sick. Awesome. And then one of my, I believe it was like one of my professors, some, someone found out basically that I couldn't um, or that I was obviously in, in, in hockey And so I wasn't able to retake any the exams or pass any of the homework that I would have due those certain days. So my sophomore year of high school, I ended up having a a poor GPA. My junior year of high school, I actually um, did online school. And I got, you know, I got away with things and I should not away with things, but just got away with having an average GPA. Um, And then my, my senior year, I was actually in Kearney playing juniors in Nebraska. So I went to school there. Um, so I ended up getting a call from David Lasson, who was the assistant coach, David Lasson and Steve Miller, who had recruited me to Denver. Um, and just said, unfortunately, because of your grades, you can't get into the school. Um, that following year, um, my third year in the USHL, uh, Steve Miller actually, uh, left Denver and he went to Providence college. And so that was the same year that they had won the national championship. And I ended up having, um, in the, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the tournament, but or the fall classic is the tournament that the USHL does. Um, I don't know if it's it's still a name that I know that, you know, it's been kind of changed around, but that's where like most of the scouts come at the beginning of the year. It's all exhibition games and they really see what's the talent like this year. You know, they got kind of got the head high lines of, you know, what players are potentially going to be drafted and stuff like that as well. So a lot of colleges, a lot of scouts, these, at these weekends, and it's usually all the teams when I was playing, I believe it was all of the teams were actually in Sioux city. I don't know if it was just the Western teams or all teams in general at Sioux city. It's kind of like a big tournament. Um long story short, we had two games, and I think I had seven points in two games. Um, and literally right after that weekend, I got a call or actually met with Chris Mayotte, who is now the head coach of Colorado College. Um, but he said, Hey, uh, Steve Miller is going to give you a call. We want you to come to Providence. So, you know, I, I love Steve Miller. Um, I love David Lason. I was grateful for the opportunity that they gave me at Denver. Um, and uh, you know, fortunately things worked out where I could still um, be recruited by one of the other coaches to, uh, to Providence. So I came to Providence, I toured it. I really enjoyed it and, and committed there. Cool.
0: Yeah. So, um, what was probably your favorite memory then during the, at least for now, we're talking about the two years that you're playing with Providence college.
1: Yeah, I would say we were a really successful team, which was, which was awesome. Um, I would say one of the best memories I have is probably when I had scored we were playing against umass amherst um i had never i had always struggled to have a two goal game for some odd reason when i was in the ushl i had never scored more than one goal in a game um i had a point per game my, my last year in the in the ushl but never had two goals in one game um so going into college that was kind of one of my goals is like i i want to have at least two goals in a game which is kind of a personal goal for myself and um matter of fact and this will kind of lead into the um you know what happened and further me collapsing and stuff but my last um game I had ever scored a goal in um we won two to one I ended up scoring both goals and the second goal was in overtime um so just kind of looking back at my memories and you know um just looking back at what has happened to me in the past you know four or five years and kind of looking at that moment is, is certainly a special moment that I can look back to and just kind of smile
0: yeah, so you were, you were just talking about that, Garrett. So you were putting together, obviously, a wonderful sophomore year as a player until you did collapse on the bench during a game, I believe, and you were unfortunately were first – were forced to retire due to the heart issue. So, again, I'd like you to get into a bit into your story there and about yeah. what you are dealing with. And then, of course, I definitely want you to talk about your mindset through it all and how yeah. your faith really helped you push through those hard times. Do well, you mind talking about that?
2: So, yeah, yeah. and I guess – not that, you you know, we'll – You want to keep reliving this, but do you remember (laughs) anything about collapsing or was it just like you don't remember
1: anything? No, I actually, um, I verbatimly kind of remember everything until I had collapsed. So it was actually the, uh, we were playing against Notre Dame and the quarterfinals to go to hockey East semifinals at the TD Garden. And um, that that day, actually the day prior, I had noticed that when I was skating, um, not necessarily when I was skating, but when I was resting, Uh, my heart, I would just feel this, like, vibrations down, down my chest, and I wasn't exactly sure what was going on, and, you know, you're playing in the playoffs, so really, it's, like, unless my legs legs snapped off, like, I'm gonna continue playing, you know, Um, and so that night, I went to bed, I ended up, um, we ended up losing, but I ended up having a, uh, a good game, and um, got up the next day, and, and felt totally fine, I warmed up on the ice, and um, I started noticing, like, the the same um, feeling was, was happening throughout my chest, and, uh, but nothing else was, it, it would just kind of subside and go away and I would be fine. Um, but in about, I was probably about 10 minutes into the first period, um, we, I was out for a shift and I came back to the bench and uh, our team or one of my teammates had hopped the bench to ended up getting a penalty and I was on the penalty kill. So I was still kind of popping and popping trying to catch my breath from the previous shift that I was out on. And uh, my coach had called me out to jump on the PK. And so I'll just never forget, I was sitting on the, uh, on the ice, I was, I wasn't a, a centerman, I think Brian Penno was taking the, um, Brian Penno now plays up and down for the uh, Washington Capitals, um, but I was sitting on the face-off dot, just leaning over my stick, and I just felt my heart racing, and like, I was like losing, losing consciousness, um, and I was going in and out, I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird, you know, and it was just kind of more of a shocking experience, because I'm like, what is going on? And I couldn't just go tell the ref like, Hey, 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 like I'm about to collapse or I'm not feeling well, like stop the whistle. You know, I was like literally he was dropping the puck and I'm still not feeling well. And so all of a sudden, or, or thankfully um, Brian Pinnell won the puck back. And I believe Jacob Bryson um, who now plays on the Buffalo Sabres was able to clear the puck down. Um, and I got to the bench and I was just kind of leaning over the bench and trying to catch my breath and just like relax a little bit. And one of my teammates, Jake Wallman, Um, who was sitting next to me. He's like, you're okay. You're okay. You're fine. And he had thought, I have talked to him after I had this whole thing went on. He had thought that I had gotten hit and I got the wind knocked out of me. And so I was sitting there with my kind of arms over the, over the edge of the bench. And next thing, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not. Okay. I was like, I was yelling, get Sid. Sid was our athletic director. And by the time I'm yelling, get Sid, my whole body, I just remember kind of like leaning forward and just like falling down and ended up collapsing um, I was out for probably 10 to 15 seconds, I think they said it was. And then um, fortunately, my heart actually jumped back out of the arrhythmia. And uh, I just remember waking up and looking up to another teammate of mine who, his name is Vinny Desharnais. Um, He's like 6'6". Six, six. He's actually my roommate as well um, at the time. And I just, I remember I wait, waking up and looking up at his eyes and just like jumping up. Um, I'll never forget, like when I was young, my dad always told me, my dad hated when Kids would. uh, My dad was a a tough. He's a tough guy, and whenever he would see someone, he would always tell me, "If you're laying on the ice because you're injured, you better seriously be injured, or you better get up off the ice and get to the bench at least." And he's always telling me that. So I'll never forget just waking up and just having this childhood memory of like, "I gotta get up. I gotta get up." And so I literally just jolted up and then I felt like nothing had happened. I mean, yeah, I felt like I just had gone to sleep for you know 15 seconds and woke up refreshed and ready to go. And so um, a bunch of personnel, a bunch of doctors from um, the Notre Dame side had run across the bench. Um, I was rushed to a back room. And at the time, actually, our athletic trainer was dealing with one of our other players who had separated his shoulder in the game. And so he was in the locker room putting ice on one of my other teammates' shoulder. And I walk into the room with one of our other assistant coaches. And he's like, why, like, why are you back here? What's going on? And like, uh, Scott Boric was helping me and he's like, he collapsed. Like he was just out, like completely unconscious. His eyes were in the back of his head. Um, and he's like, he's woken up and by that time the EMTs and everybody had come in, um, took off my chest protector and everything. i had put, um, an EKG system on my chest and found out that I was still having, um, some low PV or some PVCs every so often. So they decided to, to send me to Notre Dame. Uh, to the Notre, the local hospital and uh, stayed there a night. And then basically from there, went back to uh, Boston, was stabilized, went back to Boston the following day. Uh, and from there was about, I collapsed on March 11th and it wasn't until or I did testing from basically end of March or mid March all the way through um, August. I ended up retiring on August 7th. And that process was, um, you know, it was, it was devastating for myself. It was devastating for my family because I mean, like any hockey player, you know, you get what that gets to that level. You've dedicated your entire life to something, you know, you've, your parents, my parents sacrificed so much financially, didn't go on vacations every, you know, any vacation we went on, it was just a hockey trip, you know, and um, it was extremely, extremely difficult, but uh, you know, I'm so grateful that I'm still alive and standing and being able to talk to you guys and really tell this story. And um, at the time, I was uh, dating my wife. Now I'm married and stuff like that. So it was a it was extremely tough. But when you look back at it now, I'm just so grateful and thankful for all that hockey had given me or has given me, um, and where is where it's brought me today. So yeah, it was a it was a crazy experience. And over that over that five or six months of testing, did a lot of like uh, VO two testing. They did a um, uh, a test where they actually go through. My main artery and my leg, and they send some wires up into my heart and they basically pace my heart and they try to uh, create the arrhythmia to happen. And they can actually, um, if they can find where the arrhythmia is happening, and basically an arrhythmia is just an electrical impulse and it's being caught somewhere in the heart because of, in my instance, it's dead scar tissue. I have some uh, dead part of my heart. And so um, the the arrhythmia, the electrical impulses, instead of pulsating the heart as the electrical impulses are coming down, it's getting caught. And it's basically, it's going like spinning like crazy inside one part of the heart, my lower ventricular uh, part of the heart. And it basically is just going crazy. And that's what happens. And then the blood can't get down from um, through my heart to the rest of my body and back to my head. And so um, it was a, it was a, it was a crazy process and really it didn't, it didn't stop there. I, uh, after having to retire about a year, year and a half later, Um, I had another incident in the beginning of, uh, 2019 beginning of 2019 in January where, um, I had another arrhythmia and, um, right after I had decided to retire, sorry, kind of going all over the place right after I had to retire, I had a loop recorder put in my chest because the doctors still couldn't figure out exactly The, the main reason that I had to retire is the doctors couldn't figure out what was causing the arrhythmias. They noticed that I did have some scarring in my heart but they couldn't, they couldn't get the arrhythmia to um, happen again and couldn't locate it. So they couldn't cauterize the part of my heart that needed to be cauterized in order for it to start flowing properly again. And so um, they put a loop recorder in just to make sure that, okay, how often are these arrhythmias happening? How often are they sustained? Because a lot of people will have a PVC every so often, but the main problem is if they're sustained for a certain period of time and at a rate that your body cannot handle, that's when you end up collapsing. And so um, the loop recorder had caught about a year and a half later. My heart went into another arrhythmia. It was at 297 beats per minute. Wow. And so it was just going like, you know, brrr, just absolutely insane. And he called me in. And so I ended up having to have uh, a defibrillator put in about a year and a half later. So I have a, it's kind of about a hockey size puck. It's called a subcutaneous ICD. So basically, instead of it uh, being at the top of your collarbone and it going through your veins down into the heart, This one um, is new from Boston Scientific, and it basically protects a lot more for infection, and especially if you're going to have it for a long time. And it's all outside of the heart, so basically imagine having a hockey puck um, kind of on your left rib cage, and then there's a wire that goes across my left rib cage to my sternum, and then a rod that goes all the way up my chest, and that'll actually, you know, that will shock me if I uh, if I ever need it and if I ever collapse again. But yeah, it's it's a long story, like I said, but I'm super grateful for things have turned out. I know, I mean, I would do anything to be able to play hockey again, but um, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to really even be living right now. So just to say you know, that I'm talking, being, like I said, being able to talk yeah. to you guys and enjoy, you know, enjoying my family, enjoying my wife and, and the precious things that, that life gives. I'm just super, super grateful for it.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, like I told you off air, my, my wife's a physician, the listeners know that. And uh, so I was asking her a little bit and now uh, because I'm not going to try to pronounce anything, I, I, especially with my Boston accent. But, um, so the diagnosis is what? Ventricular? Yeah,
1: tachycardia. So it's SVT, sustained ventricular tachycardia. Um, and it's caused because I have a scarring in the heart um, from they think it was a potential virus that I had previously um, when I was actually in juniors, I had this virus. I was sick for, I was 10 days in the hospital, um, right after the end of my June, my last year at Tri- at the Tri-City storm. Um, I had just felt sick one day and, um, my wife came down at the time, my girlfriend and, uh, I was at my billet house and she was just upstairs. Uh, we had a very, my wife had a very good relationship with my billet family and she would just go hang out with them even when I wasn't there sometimes. And, uh, she had come downstairs and they took my temp and it was like 104.5 so they ended up sending me to the uh to the hospital and it was basically about 10 or 11 days I was in the hospital they still to this day do not know what virus i had um all they know is it went from it went to my heart it went to my liver it went to my spleen um went basically all throughout my body unfortunately enough um i was able to get rid of it but they did think, they do think that that virus potentially could have caused the scarring in my heart that led to these um to led to this tachycardia
2: yeah. And my my wife does say we were talking uh, a little bit about it and she was saying, yeah, that that can be fatal and more. It, yeah. it usually is fatal, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you keep having those attacks. So the night before the game or the day before the game um, where you had your collapse, was that the first time you felt like, hey, something's going wrong with my heart? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. That was the first time ever where I had ever felt anything, you know, I had actually, um, after I was sick with the virus, I actually went to a cardiologist in California and did stress testing there. Everything everything looked totally fine. Uh, he said, you know, you, you should be fine going back to playing sports. You know, everything is looking good. Your vitals are good. Your heart's pumping well, your veins, everything looks fine. Um, and so it wasn't until that day beforehand where I had felt something and then, uh, you know, the next day I ended up, ended up collapsing. So. Um, you know, sometimes things just take time. Unfortunately, you know you get older and you know you start getting you know other symptoms that you feel like you've never had before. And I think it was just a case where, um, you know your body, you put a lot of wear or tear on your body. i uh, I was very busy during college. I also double majored in finance and accounting. Um so besides, you know, playing hockey and and training really hard, I was also super busy with school, which, Um, You know, sometimes I wasn't having a a lot of sleep during the night. So I always think maybe if I was a bit rested more, maybe I wouldn't have put so much stress on my body, which, you know, but those are always what if questions that you'll never know. All I know is I started feeling symptoms the day before and then I ended up collapsing, you know.
0: Yeah. And so you ended up becoming a student assistant coach for for the rest for the remainder of time. So how did that opportunity come about and what was your experience like being able to still help your team out?
1: Yeah, I know it was it was awesome. It was a great time. Um, I'll never forget the the phone call I had with Coach Lehman after I told him I couldn't play anymore. Um, you know, he said, you're not going anywhere. Your your full ride is still guaranteed here at Providence. And we want you to, to be not on the bench, but upstairs as, as a student assistant coach and helping us out. And so the whole process was really, really cool. Um, it's, it's super eye opening, you know, as a player as a player, you think about the team, but you also think about like kind of your individual goals. Where am I going after college? I want to play professional hockey, all of those things. And you don't really look at the uh, the team side, the coaching side, the roles of what the coaches have to do in order to make, you know, every every team successful. You think of the general things, but the small things you really don't get to see behind the scenes. So it was really cool being in the room with, you know, Coach Lehman. We watch one of the things at Providence is we watch after we play a game, we watch every single game that night, like on Friday nights, like after the game ends, you know, at 1030 10 30 PM, every single one of the coaches, we go upstairs and we watch the entire game from start to stop, go through everything. I mean, some nights, you know, you're not getting out of there till one, 1:30, maybe even two in the morning and super, super late nights, especially if we play bad. Um, but uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a really cool experience. We also, had, so we had coach Lehman, which is awesome coach. Um, Ron Rolston was there um, my senior year. He is an unbelievable coach. He's actually the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres uh, a bit beforehand. Um, also Scott Borick was there during that time so a lot of awesome coaches that um, you know I was able to like learn from and just kind of get the experience of what the the whole coaching life style is about so I had a I had a blast.
2: If you had to kind of I'm putting you on the spot if you had to pick like two major eye-opening things from looking at hockey from the player perspective to the coach perspective mm-hmm. what would it be?
1: One of the, I would say one of the biggest things is just the individual outlook in regards to a player's view in regards to what their success is on the team and then a coach's view of what's the team success and I think one of the biggest challenges that coaches face is how do I get a team of guys that are you know I want to push them for one combined goal but also make them individually as successful as they need to be to move on and there's a fine line between the two Um, and then also I just think I think one of the main things that like a coach can do to really help influence a team, which I thought coach Lehman did really well was just the amount of discipline that he had in the game. Um, And just basically how his role as a coach and how hard he worked really um, kind of pushed us and made us and held us accountable to kind of our end of the deal as a player of working hard. So, yeah, I think really just kind of getting the team um, pushing towards one goal, but also helping them individually, um, achieve the goals that they want to achieve and also just you know as as a whole um, just helping like like I said just helping the team grow is I think one of the biggest challenges that coaches do face that actually a lot of people just take for granted um, and I think that's the reason why a lot of the small things like watching video till two in the morning um, you know I've heard from other coaches and and other you know organizations they're not they're not doing that you know and um our practices sometimes are super long you talk to some of the other teams and and they're not but in the end I guarantee you like there might there might be some players that come out of Providence and say you know oh that was really tough or I didn't get a fair share or something like that well you know to be honest like life isn't fair and you've got to work for your opportunities you really do I even struggle as a player sometimes like Coach Lehman and I we got into some arguments but at the end of the day um we both knew and we both, he held, he held me accountable. That was the thing. And as I continued to work hard, I was rewarded for those things. Um, and so I think it's really tough for, you know, coaches these days to, I shouldn't say just in general, to really motivate every single player on the team to push towards a goal, even when sometimes they're not even getting the opportunity that they are even working for, you know, things just get really competitive and it's, and it's tough, but in the end, um he really did motivate us and by the way he worked and um, you know off the ice and, and doing his job it really motivated us to uh push as hard as we could as well
2: so and and I don't I don't mean to rub salt in, in any wounds here but you know like I said you you, you played freshman and your sophomore year uh, you know I mean the whole you know what what could have been uh you can guess at but you know you were on track to having a very very uh, promising career, like you said, this wasn't at some Division two II or three school. You know, this is a school that's one of the best hockey teams uh, in the collegiate world. And like you, like you mentioned, most a lot of your teammates did go on to play uh, professional hockey. So obviously, a difficult time. But um, you know, we did talk a little bit about uh, FCA, the Fellowship Christian Hockey Association. We talked a little bit about your faith. Um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about? how your faith kind of got you through this horrible experience of you had to make that decision to say, okay, hockey's not going to be what I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Most certainly. I think that was one of the, one of the biggest things. And I, I was raised in a Christian household growing up and um, you know, I, my parents are always, you know, made me realize that hockey isn't who I am. It is just, it's just what I do. It's, it's the gift that God has given me to, to share his word and to influence other people. Um, and I had that blessing for a long time and still do. I'm able to come and talk on this and talk about my experience, but really I faced so many challenges in life, even when I was little, um, you know, playing on double a hockey and kind of having that fear that I was never going to be able to play in in juniors or even play college hockey, because who's going to recruit a kid that's playing double a hockey from California. My parents are like, stay true. God's going to be faithful. He's going to show you the way he's going to take care of you. You just worry about what you can control. And that's working hard. And that's what we did. We played on the teams that we could afford and we worked really hard and God opened those doors. It was the same thing that happened when I got decommitted. I was extremely sad to, you know, you call your parents, your parents work so hard. Like I talked about before, you know, when I had to retire and talking to them about that, but even more so, your parents worked so hard to get you to where you want to be. They paid so much money to be in California and help you travel all of these places to play hockey. And then you got to call your parents and say, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm getting decommitted because my grades weren't good enough in high school. And I couldn't man up enough and get good enough grades. And I let you guys down, you know? And um, so I had to face that. And I'm like, God, like, how am I going to get another full ride? Like I need to get a full ride to a school. There's no way that I'm not getting a full ride. I know I'm the player that can get one. And I'm gonna, so I ended up working really hard and fortunately enough, God open doors there. Um, and so there was a lot of things that happened in my life getting to this point that God had already shown me, look, I've taken you care of you here. Um, why do you think I can't trust you in this area? And so getting to the whole experience, yes, the collapse was extremely hard and having to officially retire from hockey is obviously a bit more drastic than any of these things had ever been in my life. But there was a lot of things that God had already shown me in, in my career and the support that I had around me where it was like, Wow, I am absolutely devastated, but no way is my life over. You know, my because my my hockey is just what I do. It's not who I am. Who I am is found in Christ. In Christ, you know, I firmly believe that when we give our life to Christ, our life is not our own anymore. And so, whatever happens in our life, God is going to use for His glory. And so, this whole um, you know chapter of my life that I've gone through, the amount that God has grown me and built me into the man I am today the uh, you know the husband that I am and stuff like that I'm just I look back and I'm just like I am so grateful I am so blessed there were days where I was extremely upset and quite frank depressed like what am I going to do with my life all I wanted to do was play hockey like you know I double majored in finance and accounting because I thought someday when hockey is eventually over hopefully 10-15 years down the road I'll be able to have a background in school that will allow me to transcend into whether it be hockey or business, something, um, something that was of a good value, you know, and I never thought it was going to be this quick. Um, But that's a whole nother story. And I honestly can just talk about God's hand in that story I actually came to Providence College as just a finance major. And then uh, my I think it was in order to be a finance major, you have to take like intro to accounting one and two. And one of my professors had said, Hey, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you become an accounting major? And I said, okay, I'll try it out. And it was tough. I remember days I would, I, a couple of my teammates you could talk to him. I'd be like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like I I, I think I'm going to have to drop one of these majors. It's just too tough. And even then they would encourage me, be like, man, uh, my director, Vinnie Vinny de who played uh, this past year on the uh, Bakersfield Condors um, there would, he would always tell people there would be times where he would not see me. He would, go to bed i would still be studying i would go in get a few hours 5 6 hours of sleep and wake up and be out of the room before he would wake back up he would be like i literally haven't seen garrett in 4 or 5 what, days you know what, and i'm his what, what was his major Oh, um, i think mean, business man business management business <laughs> yeah. management yeah. and so you know it was just but one of the big things that i had learned that god had shown me in the whole process of being decommitted when i got to college was i'm going to take my grades seriously You know, this is going to be something that I had learned from being decommitted from having bad grades in high school. Looking back at it now, I said, God, I learned that lesson. Then I'm going to be a disciplined person. I'm not going to take it easy. And I want to achieve something that people say isn't achievable, you know? Um, And so being able to do that and like having that motivation and then here would I not know that God would use that in my life, that story of being decommitted to kind of push me. And then two years later, I end up collapsing. And now I can now use that degree to get me to the job that I am now. You know, so this whole process of just looking back, it was very, very tough in the sense that I can no longer play hockey again, but just to see God's handle on the whole entire site and say, God, I trust you with my life. I know you have a plan with, for my life and I'm going to continue to trust that plan. Even when I can't see what's going on or what's the next step, if I'm going to have to have surgery, if I'm going to have another heart problem, you know, it was a, it was a really, really tough. And I had to confess this over and over and over again in my life, because, you know, you grow up from being this super, super healthy young athlete to now at any moment, you know, you can have an arrhythmia. My heart just jumps out and I've had probably seven or eight of them um, since collapsing where I'll literally just be sitting Never forget, I was sitting watching a movie with my wife and all of a sudden I go into arrhythmia mode and my heart's going like 150, 160 beats per minute. And I'm just sitting there. Um, So that like just that anxiety that builds up in your life of like, okay, you can just constantly let the devil get to your head and just say, oh my gosh, I'm going to die someday. Like my biggest fear was when we were living on the East Coast, all of our family is in the Midwest and West Coast. And I was fearful that I would pass away at our house and my wife would come home from work and just see me dead on the floor. And, you know, and it's horrible to even say and to even think about, but that was the fear that I was dealing with. And it was a matter of like, hey, are you going to let this fear overwhelm you and overwhelm your life? Are you going to trust God and the plan that he's had for you? Trust you, you know, he's already saved your life twice from arrhythmias that should have killed you, you know, you're, you're going to be okay. And so, I mean, he's the peace that I have. He's the reason why I can wake up every day with a smile on my face and with joy in my life and say, hey, everything's going to be all right, you know, and um, certainly without God in my life, my life would be uh, drastically different. That's, that's for sure.
2: I want uh, two, two questions, and then, um, and again, we're grateful, Garrett, for you to uh, give us time. We won't, we won't keep you on, maybe a follow-up question, but so yeah. where, and, and you're, I assume you're around Andrew's age, 25, right, 25, 26? Yeah, tw-
1: yeah, 26, yep.
2: So, you know, when we're talking about this, you know, we're not talking here to our listeners that might not know your story. We're not talking to someone that's my age in their 50s. He's 26 years old. so He's got a lot of life. He's just starting out in a career. So I guess my question, and this is a tough one, and you might not have an answer to, first of all, what what are you doing right now? But more importantly, what do you think uh, God has in store for you, at least in the near future?
1: yeah most certainly so currently i am working for a company called price waterhouse coopers they're a public accounting company one of the big four public accounting companies and um i'm in their assurance brand so i do a lot of auditing with uh right now i'm focusing on private equity clients um you know it was really it was the one door that had opened up um when i was getting close to graduating and i had a great relationship with one of the partners who was also recruiting from providence or recruiting to providence college um, and I said, all right, door, Lord, this is the door you're opening up. This is where I'm going. Um, in the future, to be honest, I, uh, I talk with my wife about that all of the time. Um, I love ministry work. That's my main thing that I absolutely love. I went in, uh, before I actually worked with FCA Hockey. I interned er, before I worked with PricewaterhouseCoopers. I interned the summer before with FCA Hockey. Um, and was really close with Rick and Gary and uh, went around and helped all different camps from uh, went to Boston for the Chowder Cup, went down to Liberty University. And uh, a big part of me is just my passion for God and my passion for what he's done in my life and telling people my story. And really, um, you know, when I look at life and uh, I just see, especially in kids in our generation, just, there's a lot of lost people out there. There's a lot of people looking for hope and and uh, a lot of the wrong directions, you know, and uh, fulfilling those uh, that big void in their heart, that that feeling for love or um satisfaction with things, whether it be alcohol or friends or just distractions like social media. Um, so I I I can see my life, and I talk to my wife about this a lot. Uh, you know, potentially getting into ministry in the in the long run, or ministry always being a big part of my life. Um, I love accounting. I love, I really really do enjoy my job. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a there's something in my in my and deep down in my heart where I'm like, I just want to go tell people about Jesus. Um, And whatever that process is, um, you know, I'm a person that thinks very methodically, I want to be able to provide for my family, I want to be able to provide for my kids dreams and and help them chase their dreams, just like my parents helped me. And so um, right now I'm being I'm being faithful where I am, Um, I'm trying to finish my CPA license and get all my CPA exams done. I think it's actually probably the the toughest thing that I've ever gone through in my life is is, has been finishing these exams um, while working. But um, yeah, that's my main goal right now is to finish these exams, kind of enjoy the time that I have. Um, like I said, I'm actually moved back from, from Boston to California just a few months ago to be closer to family. Um, so it's been really nice just enjoying enjoying their presence and being around them. Um, but in the long run, I do see myself, um, whether I be staying in accounting or not, I do also see a big part of my life being dedicated to a ministry, whether it be inside the game of hockey or not.
2: Yeah, and we were surprised as fans, and when we started our podcast last October, we started having guests on, we were pleasantly surprised that there is a a large community of of players at all the levels that have such a a faith and all tied in the FCA. I mean, we've had Ian Kessrich, we've had, of course, Gary, we've had Bobby Robbins, and they're all kind of, you know, it's the same um, it, it's the same story, you know, and, yeah. and Gary, who's uh, if you haven't checked out his podcast, I'm sure you have, you need to. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he's doing that. And so is Bobby Robbins. I don't know if you know Bobby. He's oh, yeah, one. I know. him.
1: Yep. You know, yep. he's
2: doing that. And but they're all saying kind of what you're saying is like, you know, God's open up doors, and you leave everything in his hands. And they kind of say, hockey's not like you said, it's not who I am. It's part of what I am or what i did but mm-hmm. it leads me to where i am now and where i'm gonna go exactly. And you know they're all just saying all the experiences just kind of led right up to right where they're at now and you know right. a yeah. lot in the ministry so uh, we yeah. were surprised about that i mean you know <laughs> especially coming from the boston area which you know well you know right. it's not uh you know it's hockey's you know this old big bad bruins and yeah you know, all these fighters and everything and right I'm not, you're not talking about christ you know what I mean? exactly
1: yeah yeah i would say definitely you know um i would say one of the things tougher growing up for myself was i i really didn't have a lot of uh, other christian teammates uh you know growing up whether especially when i went into to juniors and even college and uh you know guys knew who i was who i was and what i stood for and you know quite frankly um you know, we have jokes here and there with, with all of the guys and uh, definitely some in-depth conversations with some of them about Christ and, and stuff like that. But um, in the end, I think, you know, if you talk to any of my teammates, they certainly know that um, I'm there for them no matter what. And, uh, you know, I just try to be a genuine guy that really does care about every single one of my teammates. And uh, you know, whether they believe in God or not, I, you know, I, I really hope they all do, but at the same time, I can't force them to do anything, but I, what I certainly can do is love on them and, um, share what he's done in my life and, and, and try to live it out to the best, you know, live what God tells us to do in the Bible, live it out to the best of my ability. And not that i'm perfect it's not that i haven't failed you know anytime before i think if you talk to any of us guys that are part of fca hockey or as christians in general we all fail you know nobody's perfect and we're not here to say that we're perfect we just know who is and we believe it and that way we can get to heaven someday you know um and so i think the fca hockey in general has made enormous steps the amount of sacrifice that rick and all of them have made to help, um, Jesus be known in the hockey in the hockey world is just so incredible. And it's so awesome to see. And it's so great to be a a very, very small piece of it. And it'll it'll play a, a role in my life forever. Um, but like you said, to see all of these guys, you know, really, you know, Bobby's Bobby's story is so amazing coming from a guy that playing, playing, you know, in the AHL and getting the chance to play in the NHL and, you know, just his story and how impactful it is from being completely lost to completely saved and just see what God has done in his life. And now, being able to use his testimony at FCA hockey and just help FCA hockey grow. So yeah, it's, um it's very exciting times for FCA hockey. I'm so grateful and thankful for all that they've done in, in my life. And I, uh, I certainly want to be a part of them uh, forever and help them grow. Yeah.
2: And for anybody that doesn't, has never been part of uh, any, you know, and, and you'd hate to, like I said, coming from new England, it wasn't an overly uh, religious area as, as you right. might remember. Yep. Um, but yet, you know, moving away from there and and having uh, some spiritual experiences where you with a group of people. And uh, this is where it, it sounds to my old Boston friends, a little like uh, crazy land, but to actually feel the Holy Spirit work through everybody where everybody, uh, it kind of gets on the same page mm-hmm. when you're all doing an event together and you're all, you feel that spirit. And for those that have never felt that you really should strive to feel that and get it Any way that they can. Uh, And I always like to throw that out there, just because uh, there's a lot of people be like, you know, I don't know what he's talking about, because it's like, you don't (laughs) know until you know, right, Garrett?
1: Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Most certainly. And I just think there's an aspect of when you give your life to Christ, you have brothers in Christ, you know, there's an aspect of your life that is just... um, it's just different compared to our relationships with other people, you know, and especially those guys, I talk about guys at FCA hockey, because a lot of those guys are the guys that I'm close to that are Christians and hockey players as well. But uh, you know, when we, when we go back to meet each other, I haven't seen those guys in, you know, probably over a year or so. Uh, But when we go back to see each other, it's just like seeing each other for the, you know, like we saw each other yesterday and just uh, to see what God has, I think we're just so all also humbled by what has um gone in our lives and what is God, what God has done in our lives, that um being able to just kind of lay our lives out and just say, God, just use it any way that you want it, to, and you know, and, and just help my testimony help other people because I know there's other people that were, I was in that same spot, you know, two, three, four years ago. Um, and I want you to change their heart just as you did mine.
2: So if there's anybody, I'm just going to throw this out there for any listener that th- that this might be the moment for them. Um, someone that's saying, you know, you hear about this, you, know, you turn your life to God, you, be, you become as Christ-like as you can, mm-hmm. uh, and you hear all these stories, but you're just like, it, it, it just doesn't sound like, you know, I'm so far behind, I've never had that experience, mm-hmm. how can I, uh, meaning I can't join you and your guys, because you guys have been on this high for so long, you quote, know more, feel more, right. what is someone that says, How can I even think about being part of that if it's so foreign to me? Where do they start? What do they do?
1: Yeah, I think I think really um, a lot of players, I can I can talk about one of my, I, I know he'll allow me to talk about him as well. One of my uh, best friends, his name's Connor Balsano. Um, I played with Connor when I was uh, at the Tri-City Storm. He, played, he was traded from Sioux Falls uh, halfway through my second year. So we played together uh, my second year and all of my third year. And uh, Connor came to the team. Connor was not a Christian, quite frankly. Uh, you know, Connor was, I shouldn't say the furthest from a Christian, but I could always tell Connor was a guy That um, had an amazing, amazing heart. He had just never been introduced to Jesus, um, never known what God had done in his life. But also you could tell he had this void in his life that he was missing. And I think that's the first part is to recognize, to look at yourself in the mirror and look at your life and say, you know, why am I here? What's the purpose of me being here um, why am I doing what I what I'm doing? Um, you know, why am I in relationship with all these people? In fact, I go to my wife and I go to um, Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills. I don't know if you know the pastor's name's Jack Hibbs. Um, he's a well known pastor out here, especially on the East Coast and sometimes even uh, throughout the nations. And he was just talking about every person in this world um, has a hole in their heart. And you're going to fill that hole, that desire of love and care and affection with something, whether it be alcohol, whether it be drugs, whether it be sex, whether it be, you know, even the game of hockey, if hockey is your entire life, and that's everything that you hold to, um, you're going to fill it with something. And he goes, you're never going to be feel be fully satisfied unless you fill it with God, and your relationship with Jesus. And so I think the first thing that these, you know, anybody that's listening that um, has questions about, you know, or has this mindset, I think also the devil plays a big mindset in regards to like, Oh, they're Christians. Like they're, they're too good. Like I'm a bad person. So there's no way I could ever be a Christian. Right. Well, guess what? Christians are not good people. Christians are bad people that recognize that they're bad and they recognize that they need to be saved by someone that'd be Jesus by dying on the cross for us. And so we're all guilty of sin. You know, nobody's perfect. Here. That's what I tell a lot of my teammates as well. Um, especially when I, when I can verbatimly remember talking to Connor and saying, Hey man, like I'm not perfect. I am so happy that you're giving your life to Christ and um, I'm so happy to see what he's doing going to do in your life but you know you're not supposed to look to me or any other preacher on this earth that's supposed to be quote-unquote better than you we're not you know we're just messed up and acknowledge that we have a savior that was perfect and that's why we're getting to heaven is because we believe that he died for us and um, so again recognizing your hurt and your pain in your life and then also recognizing that no other Christian is better than you are. You're not no other worse than other Christian. It, we're all sinners, and you know, in this world. Um, and then really just. I, I, I can think about Bobby and this, just completely giving your life to Christ is the other thing. I think a lot of guys, you know, I've talked to some teammates in the past where I believe that they believe in God, but it's quickly, it's kind of like um, the parable. I know there's a parable about the seed, and there's like four different, you know, the seeds planted, and some of it just up gets picked up by the bird. It's in Matthew, gets picked up by the bird, and you know, he, and Jesus talks about how um, there's different people in life that will, that will hear the word, but then quickly be distracted by the ways of the world and fall back into the word or fall fall back into the world. And there's other people that actually take the word and sow it in their hearts and really grow and transform their lives. And when I think about Bobby Robbins, it's a direct example of a guy that, you know, really took God's word as true, embedded it in his, I remember when he was, one of the first things that he did um, before he was even involved with FCA hockey, he had followed me on Twitter and he was reading the Bible in a year and he was filming himself every single day, reading the Bible in a year. And I talked to him about that and how hard that was for him to be dedicated to read the Bible every single day to read on that plan and film yourself doing it, you know, just to hold yourself accountable, but he just completely surrendered his life to Christ. And now you're just seeing the fruit of what God has done and doing in his life because of his dedication to Christ and just allowing Christ to really show him who he truly is and who God truly made him to be, you know? Um, And I think a lot of people, when they recognize people like Bobby Robbins and even myself and other people that are Christians and see what they've done in our lives, even though we're not perfect, just know that you can come to God. And when you do come to God, he is going to show you, he's going to give you the peace in your heart that you've never had before, the joy, the peace, the love, the care that you have, even when you're going through good and tough times.
0: Yeah, well said. Yeah. And so Gary, I know that you're on break at work right now. So we, Oh no, you're fine. We can keep going.
1: I have a bit of time. You're fine. You're fine.
0: So I did want to close up with this. Then I know that, you know, you and I are, are close in age, you know, mid, mid, uh, late twenties and everything. And, So I know a lot of my friends, personally, a lot of people in the world, you know, between the COVID and everything, everybody's going through hard times. Um, And and sometimes, you know, especially with, uh, you know, what happened to you, it, it would have been very, very easy. And, you know, a lot of people would say it would have been understandable for you to blame what happened and to never do something with your life and just constantly have that looming over you. So for a lot of especially young people, and I mean, your advice could go for even people my father's age, too. For those that are going through hard things or that have something like maybe a a hard issue or or something like that, what would be your closing motivational words for the day for anybody that's going through a hard time to not blame your problems and just to continue working and and enjoy life as as well?
1: Yeah, well, the big thing for myself was just the understanding, number one, of sin. And when sin entered the world, bad things started to happen. And so I think a lot of things too, I, you know, I can think of a, a coach that I have in mind that is an amazing guy. He has an amazing heart. Um, I've talked to him about Jesus before, but when I talk to him, he says either number one, I'm a bad person. There's no way God would forgive me. Or number two, he talks about how he's had experience in his life where he's just kind of given up on God because why would God allow these things to happen? And that's one of my big questions that I get from a lot of people is, Hey, if, if we have this God that is supposed to love us, then why are, why is there sex trafficking? Why are there hurricanes and there's two-year-old babies getting thrown around in the air, you know, in Japan, like just all these questions, like why would God allow that to happen? And my response is we allowed sin to enter the world and we're not perfect. And so a lot of the bad things that happen to our, to ourselves are really because we allowed sin to enter the world. And according to God's word, just as Adam and Eve sinned, I would have done the same thing. And so that's recognizing kind of the main root of, okay, where are these problems coming from? And then number two, I don't ever think God intended us just to, to stop these problems. God promised us when we give our life to us, he's going to protect us. He's going to keep us safe. When we do face challenges, he's going to build us up through those challenges and, and build us into the man or woman that he wants us to make us to be or prepare us for something in the future to be. And so I think one of the big things when you're going through anything that you struggle in life, recognize that God is preparing you for something else and if you give your life to christ he's going to help that experience build you and grow your foundation in him so that you're going to be able to do whatever he calls you to do in the future um and i also think it's just you know faith is very tough because it's it's unseen we live in a world where it's like we want gratification now we want everything now i want to be healed now you know how many times i've prayed to god and just said god heal me I know God can heal me. You know, there's a reason why it's not happening. He knows I don't, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to trust him in the process. I mean, he's, there's many times where I didn't know if I was going to get a scholarship again or not. And he provided for that. So why wouldn't I not believe him now? Um, So no, I just, I just pray that whenever people are struggling, number one, I say, you need to fill your life with Jesus, number one. And number two, you need to trust in the process that he has for your life, who he's, how he's going to build you and help you grow. Um, you know, to make you the man that he needs you to be that he wants you to be because really, like I said in the very beginning when we give our life to Christ I believe our life isn't ours anymore it's it's God's and he's going to use it however he needs to, in order to share his word and share his gospel to the people that have never heard his word before.
2: Great, I mean good stuff. We're going to end this, Garrett, with a quick lightning round. We're going to circle yeah. back just to hockey on the end here. And yeah. and uh, this can be short answers, like give us a name or a yes or no or whatever the answer may be. Mm-hmm. Or if you've got a funny story, you can, you can share it. So um, favorite team growing up?
1: Uh, LA Kings.
0: If you could play for any NHL team with its current roster today, who would you choose to play for?
1: Vegas Golden Knights. Cool,
0: yeah. Should Flory have played last night?
1: I think so. Even though
0: the Knights won, right? They did win.
1: They, they did win. win. I just didn't think that he played that bad of a game the game prior. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know that some teams try to change it up just to get a little spark in the lineup or something like that. I mean, I've I've had teams plenty of times where, you know, maybe we didn't we didn't perform as well as we did, or we just needed a little adjustment. So we take one guy out of the lineup, put another guy in, or I never really have I seen a team change goalies, but I know Vegas has two good goalies and I think they firmly believe in both of them. And, and so they went with the linear, but yeah, I thought Fleury should have played.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, n- not to get off on a tangent, but this is kind of, I guess, a, 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 a question from the fans to someone who's who played the game at a, at an extreme high level. Um, you know, my wife is always watching the game. She loves hockey. She knows hockey, but she's like, <laughs> stay in the net. Why do the goalies <laughs> feel that they have to touch the puck? You know, because, I mean, I'm <laughs> talking about flurries. Look, he mishandled the puck. If you've ever played the game, the puck jumps on you. Happens, And, it happens. and while yep. it looks like you should have had it, it's not your fault. It just, it's exactly. A, it's...
1: Things happen. So, yep. um,
2: but do coaches, um, I've asked Ian, you know, he was, he's he was a goalie. Uh, You know, do the coaches say anything? And they say mainly the coaches leave the goalies alone. I don't know if that's your experience, but does that drive the coaches crazy when goalies start to like, there's no reason he had to touch the puck.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I would say it kind of depends. I've had coaches being this totally right. Like usually the coaches just leave the goalies alone and just kind of, you know, goalie is a very unique sport uh, or unique position in hockey. Um, But I've seen some coaches where it irritates them. Um, and other coaches where it doesn't, I think it also depends on the skill set of the goalie. Like some goalies are really skilled at playing the puck. You look at Smith on Edmonton. He's like ridiculously skilled at playing the puck. You know, the guy could practically be a, a sixth like defenseman, you know, on the on the ice. Um, but there's other coaches where they're just like, hey, stay in the net." And especially if they see something happen like one or two times where it makes them feel uncomfortable about, uncomfortable about the goalie going out of the net. They'll kind of tell him, "Hey, just stay in it," you know. Um, so I, I've seen it. I've seen it both ways. Yeah, I've seen it both ways. So,
0: right. so speaking of the Vegas Golden Knights, what are the rest of your playoff predictions? Oh,
2: oh don't say Montreal.
1: No, so this I, is a I, black and gold production. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I I say it's gonna be Tampa and Vegas in the final, and then I say it's gonna go to Game Seven, and Vegas is gonna win. Okay, wow, that would be awesome.
2: Go. There you go. Yeah. Uh, favorite line mate of yours,
1: favorite line mate of mine. Oh my goodness. That's a hard, that's a really hard question. There's a lot of guys that I've had that are just awesome, awesome teammates. Um, one guy that I can think back that I still have a relationship this day. And I think this is my favorite oldest teammate I've ever had, including junior hockey and college. Um, we still talk today. His name's Kyle Eastman. Kyle actually ended up playing at Robert Morris for, I believe, a year or two years. And then he ended up going back home just to a local college in Buffalo, kind of just retired and um, decided he did not want to play hockey anymore. But awesome guy, a guy that we actually started the first year together as rookies and juniors. Um, and i have just we stayed. we're the only two guys that stayed at the Tri-City Storm for all three years um, playing there and then ended up going to college, but have still stayed in contact with each other. So I had a lot of amazing, amazing teammates, guys that are truly my best friends and guys that I've known for forever. Um, he's just the guy that I've you know, played the longest with and still have a relationship with. And he's an awesome, incredible guy as well.
0: Cool.
1: Nice. Loudest crowd you've played for? Loudest crowd I've played for? Um, I'm trying to think. For or against, just like in a building in general. Yeah, in general. In general. Okay, I would say Sioux Falls against Sioux Falls Stampede, my last game ever playing. Um, they had gotten to their new arena. Um, I think it's called like Sanford Health Arena in in Sioux Falls, and the building was practically sold out. You know, it was like about eight to ten thousand fans there for a USHL game, and we ended up losing, which obviously wasn't fun. Uh, <laughs> but 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 it was super loud, and it was a, it was a super exciting game to play in.
2: And lastly, uh, your favorite hockey memory, if you can pick one.
1: Oh, man. Favorite hockey memory. I just have to go back to being, uh, being little and uh, playing in the garage with my dad, you know, being three, four years old. And, you know, all of the hockey relationships and the times that I've had actually playing are great, but nothing can compare to your dad teaching you as a young kid when you're shooting holes in the wall, you know, in the garage. And your dad's teaching you how to – to make a slap shot and my dad takes a slap shot and puts a hole through the drywall in our garage. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I want to be able to do that when I get bigger, you know? So, um, just the relationships that I had with, with my dad playing hockey in the, in the garage when I was little is uh, something super special to me and something that I'll, uh, you know, be, uh, be dear to my heart forever.
2: Well, I can say this, Garrett, uh, you're an amazing young man. I can say young man cause he is a young man <laughs> to me. Andy. Uh, amazing young man. We're certainly going to uh, follow, um, Um, your career and uh, and hopefully your your ministry and, uh, you know, tied into this uh, little community. We're starting to get into the hockey community. We're going to pause this, but officially we want to thank you for coming on the show and we'll say goodbye right off here. So, but we do want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you had a good time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Great guest. Yeah, absolutely great guest. Amazing story. You know, and this is why I enjoy that we get all sorts of different guests on the show. You know, we're not just trying to get NHL players and getting their experiences. There's a great stories from players all over different leagues and obviously an unfortunate story. I mean, it's you know, his his career was cut very short and he's my age or a little older and, right. you know, that's it sucks that your dream is taken away from you, but it sounds like he's got other dreams and aspirations. And that's just, you know, amazing for him that he's able to keep that mindset.
2: Well, like you said, you know, and and for, I mean, every one of our guests, I mean, there is life after hockey, no matter how long a short your career is, but hockey is kind of the thing that, you know, helps form you into who you are and where you go. So uh, a great story. We're going to keep in touch with Garrett. I mean, amazing young man. Like I said, he's your age. So he's an amazing kid in my eyes. And uh, we wish him all the, the best and follow us on all of the podcasts. I mean, I don't think we have to name them all anymore. We're on every one of them. Yep, we are. So we want to thank our listeners. Our listener base continues to grow according to uh, the demographics that we get yep. in the data. So uh, you guys like what you're hearing. And we will have
0: our next guest on. And should we mention any confirmed guests? Yeah, so our next guest next week is going to be Douglas Smith. If you guys have ever watched the movie Goon. He is the co-author of the story, as well as the guy who is Goon. That is the character. This is about him. So we're going to be asked some questions about his story regarding that, writing the book, getting the movie deal. It's going to be really, really fun. Right.
2: And confirmed and reconfirmed uh, before we went on the podcast here, Tom Fergus, uh, old uh NHLer for the Boston Bruins, drafted by the Boston Bruins, Toronto, and Vancouver, I think yep. he played with. So he's going to come on and we'll do our homework and uh, ask him a whole bunch of questions about his career and the people he played with. And for our Boston listeners, it's going to be great because, I mean, he played four or five seasons, I think four seasons with uh, the Boston Bruins from like 81 uh, to 85. And I mean, he played with everybody, O'Reilly and yeah. Cashman and Ray Bork and Barry Peterson and everybody else. So that'll be a good one as well. So we're going to wrap it up here. We're running a little long today. So
0: uh, anything else, Andrew? Nope. We appreciate everybody for continuing to support us, a father and son project, and we hope everybody has a wonderful week. Everybody take care.